Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Todd Buckingham, and I can be found on Twitter at Reach Summit Pod. And I'm Zach Dosh, and you can find me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. And I'm Greg Steeman uh, on Twitter at Greg Steeman. And there's a few other places you can find um, our information. We have a website, reachingthesummitpodcast.com. And can also be found on Facebook at Reach Summit Pod. So, gentlemen, I wanted to start out this week's episode. We we finally had Summit League play after a very unique non-conference schedule, and I want to start out with some general questions about the Summit League play we saw this weekend, and then we'll jump into the matchups. So, the first question that I wanted to ask: We had three sweeps and one split over the weekend. Do you guys think that was a product of the matchups? Or do you think it was a product of something we're going to see more often this season? I was expecting more splits in general. Yeah, I know it was really interesting to see, you know, the the approaches of these different teams. I think, you know, if you look at uh, NDSU and Oral Roberts sweeping, um, they're two pretty mature teams, you know, led by upperclassmen, guys that have played a lot of basketball. And I think the more basketball that you've played, the more consistent you are. Uh, with South Dakota, you know, obviously they're lesser experienced, but they're, they're playing with uh, just an overmatched or playing against an overmatched Denver team at this point. And then that, that kind of leaves the, the UND and Kansas City game. And and uh, they're probably going to be uh, a little bit more inconsistent, a lot more up and down this year. And obviously we'll talk about more about them in the podcast. But um, I, I think the mature teams, you can count on them to, to sweep, especially at home. Um, but then there's going to be certain teams that you're just not hundred percent sure what you're going to get on any given night. Yeah, I'm in, in agreement. I probably lean more on the, on the matchup side. I just think, uh, Western Illinois, I think they've got some room for improvement and growth, but the, you have a North Dakota state team that, um, typically is, is pretty sound defensively. And I think they made things difficult on Western Illinois and, and just some maturity and versatility with that lineup. I just, um, I like what Dave Richmond has in front of him right now, and especially with some young players that have an opportunity to grow into some expanded roles. Just their versatility, their interchangeability, and their understanding of, of what it takes to win on the road. Or are you all just uh, kind of echo Zach's sentiments? They're just they're just so doggone good offensively. And uh, if, if you can't slow them down, if you can't get them out of rhythm, and if you, if, if you can't at least take – one of either O'Banner or Acemas away, it's just going to be a long night for you. And and I think Omaha is finding out what it's like to lose some really, really experienced guards and still try to play in the same manner. Um, I just, I just think they're struggling right now. And the USD sweep over Denver, as I, I think his, I, I want to take nothing away from USD because I think Plitz White and Amude are really good. And they had an, another, you know, a number of, different people step up to a certain extent. It's just more uh, kind of a, an indictment on where Denver is at right now as a team, and that's unfortunate. And Zach, you brought up home court. Is home court a big deal this this season, given there's no or limited fans? USD swept at home, um, but then Western and um, I'm forgetting the other team, that oh, Omaha got swept yeah. at home. And you would typically think, especially in the Omaha Oral Roberts two-game series, maybe being at Omaha, Omaha would be able to get one of those. What do you guys think? Is home court deal a big deal this season? 
I think uh, once the game starts, I don't think it matters at all. Um, you know, at the UND game, I believe there's about 600 people there. That was the maximum. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously very little atmosphere there. Um, and so once the game starts, I don't think it matters at all, but it still does matter. The fact that, you know, these teams have to travel up and down I 29 and, you know, stay in hotels and shoot arounds and all the logistics of it. It does add a, an added degree of difficulty there. Um, but once the game starts, it's, it's, uh, about as even as it could possibly be. I think so too. I don't think it's as impactful. Um, you know, I would like to see some studies after this year on, on, on home court success versus, you know, years where you're allowed, uh, the full arenas. Um, I think it, I think it makes an impact with, uh, you know, with, with NDSU going into Kansas, you know, in the fog Allen, nobody's in the arena. Uh, that can be intimidating at times for people. And, and even when you get in the Summit League, I, I still think it makes a big difference, especially late in games when it comes to that bang-bang call. Um, it, 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 it More often than not, and this is strictly my observation, more often than not has a tendency to go the home team's way. But I think uh, – I, I just I, – I do think it's not nearly as uh, imposing of an advantage as it has been in the past, obviously, this season. Yeah, my guess is we'll see less upsets where the road team is the favorite and the home team is the underdog and the home team has, you know, their crowd kind of carrying them and all that good stuff. My guess is we'll see less of that. It'll be probably more by the book this year where, you know, obviously the better team wins and there's just less upsets. Well, and heck, you even see things like the away team uh, doing chants on their bench of defense and you can fully hear it. And, and that's what 12 people chanting. Yeah. And so yeah. it just, there, there, it does negate. And I think from a fan perspective, and we saw this in the NFL and different places as well, fans do matter. The, the noise matters. And, and especially Greg, to your point about officials, they are human and they're, they're used to hearing, you know, the noise and the, 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 uh, feedback, I suppose you could call it from the fans, but still they're human and, and are going to react based off of that, at least in some subconscious way. Uh, so an interesting, just a very interesting change. And, and there's a lot of little like mechanical things with how the game goes that is, is different this year in terms of where the benches are, you know, where the, where the, where you, where you check in at, where the scores table is, you know, we had a couple situations this weekend where, you know, officials reporting a foul to the wrong place and fouls getting recorded incorrectly because, you know, somebody signals it, the fouls on, you know, 15 and they have it recorded as 51 and all this, you know, it, a, a bunch of little kind of goofy stuff. Everybody's still trying to settle into j just this whole game day setup. I mean, we've been doing things one way for the last however long and now this year everything's a little bit differently. And so I don't think it's going to actually affect the game, but it's just kind of more or less behind the scenes stuff that, uh, you know, everybody's just trying to adjust to this new normal, but it is important to point out. And I did, I did try to mention it on the broadcast, but man, it's, it's really encouraging to see just how bought in everybody is to pulling off this season. Um, not to go on a tangent here, but it's really it, there, you know, people are scrambling, people are taking things very seriously um, you know, the Ralph Ingleset arena is doing a really good job, just keeping things obviously sanitized, spread out all that good stuff. So everything's done pretty textbook. It makes me feel much better about the chances of making it through the season. Zach, did they have to switch out balls when somebody who wasn't on the court had to, had to touch it? I had heard on some broadcasts 
you know, certain people couldn't go get the ball if it went off the court and different Good things. Good question. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I saw that. I don't think I saw that, but, uh, you know, the one thing just to quickly point out, I thought it was really interesting, very noteworthy how UND's women handled their game this weekend. So I don't know if any, if you guys out there caught it, but they were very shorthanded. Uh, they had, you know, essentially, I think eight women available for their game. And I'm pretty sure at least two were a walk on. And so they just decided to play, uh, cause I think there was a positive test and then contact tracing this and that, um, they decided to play just one game. And so they played the game on Saturday instead of the game on Sunday. Very, very, uh, odd. I, I never would have thought this would have been the way they handled it, but I guess it kind of made some sense. And, you know, unfortunately the game went to overtime. So UND is trying to play with essentially five players and, um, so it didn't didn't turn out in their favor, but that's just kind of something noteworthy as to we could see we could see that easily happening on the boys' side. You know what happens if they're down to five? You know I think the teams get to make that decision whether they cancel the game or they play it or whatnot. So um, just something to note. And that second game just got canceled, right? It didn't cause right. a forfeit or anything like that. Okay. Right. Yeah, it just got canceled. They just decided to play one. Yes. Huh. Well, what? Go ahead, Greg. Are you going to say something? Well, I'm. I'm just going to say, I think the coaches are more than willing to work with everybody. It really comes down to if there isn't a similar number of games, it's winning percentage. I think you, you shared that information last week or the week before. And uh, they all want to do what's best for the kids. But I, I do think um, there's a lot of people that deserve a lot of credit for, for the fact that these things will take place one way or another um, in the best manner possible and the safest manner possible. Right, right. One, one last thing before we jumped into the matchups, I just wanted to get each of your favorite thing from this weekend. Was it just the fact that we were playing Summit League basketball again? Was there something specific? Your, your favorite thing from this weekend? Just the feeling of normalcy, you know? I mean, like, you could just tell. It was just really interesting being in the gym and just, you know, everybody from, from the cameraman to the ushers to all that stuff, like, everybody was really thankful that we were able to, to play this weekend. And it meant a lot. These games mean a lot to a lot of people, not just the players, not just the coaches. And so that, I think, was my, my favorite part of this weekend is just seeing sort of the relief and just really joy on everybody's face that they get, hey, man, we have to watch basketball this weekend. We're never taking that for granted ever again. Yeah, it's it's hard to, uh, you know, obviously some impressive performances here and there, but it's I think it really is, is it's just kind of the anticipation and, and uh the desire to get to that, that conference season, which is, you know, everybody went through the complete unknown of, of a non-conference season where you didn't know an opponent sometimes until two or three days before you played them and were able to schedule them. This conference season has been, you know, put in place and, and, and ready to go for a long time. I think the Summit League goes back to some of our early podcasts. I think the Summit League was one of, if not the first league in the country to say, you know what, here's how we're going to do it. Here's how it's going to work. And we're going to do the best we can to facilitate this. So I think there's been a lot of anticipation about this conference season in the Summit League for a long time, to be quite honest with you. So I think that that really is. I'll, I, I don't didn't say anything really much different than Zach, other than it's just it's, it's great that we're seeing these games being played, and and the, the team that probably um, is uh, more frustrated than anybody else right now is South Dakota State because they had the first weekend by. So I think it's uh, it's great to see, and and I hope we can keep. You know, if, if if we, as a Summit League, if we can find a way to get 85 to 90 percent of the games played, I think that's a huge win. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I'm actually going to combine what both of you said. It 
you know, after last March, you know, I was thinking about it yesterday. The last time Summit League teams got together to play in a conference game was when North Dakota State had won the the tournament and was expecting to go to the to the uh, NCAA tournament. And nobody really, I mean, we had heard of COVID, but nobody thought that was going to change. And then everything just shut down. And so for me, it was the fact that, yes, when basketball, college basketball started back up, that was great. And it was fun to to watch again. But then the, the non-conference season was so different that it just kind of was like, let's get to conference play. And, and so to have conference play again, and it felt so normal because the teams, we know the teams and we know that it really matters and all of those things. And even the energy on the court was a little different. Um, it was just so fun to be back to normal in one small little way, even if there aren't many fans and there aren't, uh, you're playing two games at the same, the same place back to back. So that was mine. Yeah. I mean, the games, the games were very normal. You know, the players didn't act any different. You know, there was plenty of, you know, passion and emotion and trash talking and all that good stuff, all the stuff that makes basketball kind of fun. That was all still there. It's just sort of everything around there, uh, around the game, what was changed. And, and that's fine. I mean, everybody's understanding they have to do what they have to do to, to make these games happen. Yeah. In a, in a year, I mean, my, my kids are upstairs, supposedly distance learning right now. Um, but they heard I was doing a podcast so I can hear them running around. Um, so not a lot is normal. So it was just nice to have something Mm -hmm. back to the way it was, or at least close to that. Um, all right. So let's jump into the matchups. We're going to start with North Dakota and Kansas city. Uh, since Zach, you were in the building for the 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 matchup you kind of talked about the the crowd and 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 that but just start with your general thoughts of being there and then we'll get into the matchup itself well i'd really you know i had not had a lot of opportunities to watch this kansas city team play a lot of the information that i got was sort of anecdotal and you know clips here and little bits and pieces of, of former games there and 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 also they they played a very different schedule than you indeed did going into this game and so i really didn't know what i thought you know, also coming into the game, you know, Brandon McKissick puts his name in the transfer portal that week and then he pulls it out. Um, you know, I, I, I think it was Nesbitt was out with a concussion and then he was back. And so I really, I really didn't know what to make of this Kansas City team and also this, this UND team because they're, they're a work in process too because, you know, they have guys coming back from injuries. They have a bunch of new players and they're trying to establish roles on the fly and things like that. So that first game, I really didn't know what to make of it. And you could really tell, I mean, that first game, there was a lot of nervous energy, you know, a lot of fouls, um, you know, Kansas city on offense, they scored like 45 points. Um, but they, they got probably at least 10, 12 in transition layups. And, you know, probably I think seven points from the free throw line. So you take that out. And you see what's left over, and that's what they did in the half court. There was just not much. Like, they they did not have much to, to go to. And in watching their shooter on going into the second day, they're not really making a ton of adjustments. And I'm like, man, are we – what are we going to see here again tonight? Um, and really, they couldn't have been more impressive that second night. Uh, they were – an ornery bunch as shoot around. I'll just leave it at that. There's a couple backstories there, um, but they were just an ornery bunch just all around uh, from the players, the coaches. And I was like, you know, that's really interesting. I've seen a lot of like, 
like like energetic or even mad but like they just they just had a really weird vibe to them and i'm like okay that means something i don't know you know how are they going to channel that energy are they just going to put are they going to send UND to the follow line 30 more times, 40 more times, or are they going to channel into playing well? And, and they did. And they led from the start, started off the game, that second game, working through Josiah Alec. He was able to score on the, on the block. You know, UND chose to, to guard him one-on-one and um, you know, he, he can score. If you give him enough time, he's going to be able to hit that, you know, right-hand jump hook. He got him off to a start. UND got off to a very slow offensive start. Um, and, and just, yeah, again, they're still trying to find their roles, things like that, trying to get consistent uh, production out of a lot of their players. But, um, you know, really different first game to second game. Um, I think, you know, UND did a pretty good job handling that Kansas City. It's Kansas City, not UMKC. I called them UMKC once, I think, on the broadcast. And we're not supposed to be doing it. It's, it's Kansas City, just to make that clear. Um, yeah, or something, yeah. Yeah. But they, um, you know... UND did a good job handling the physicality of Kansas City. They are extremely physical, extremely physical playing defense and extremely physical in how they guard the post. They're a little undersized and they push on the post. And so there's a lot of kind of unnecessary fouls around that. But UND did a pretty good job handling that. They got to the free throw line. They knocked them down. The second night, um, it, you know, Kansas City's pressure, it got to UND. That's the only other way that I can probably explain it because – you saw them crack. They kind of had some some careless turnovers down the stretch, a um, couple defensive breakdowns, and Kansas City had their best offensive game that year, uh, without a doubt, with and pretty much not knocking down any threes. And right. so what, what they hit? They hit two threes. So they basically hit two threes both nights, um, but shot sixty one percent from the field that second night, and they were actually up around in the seventies for most of the game um, on essentially shots in the paint. And so they really took it to UND that night. I was really impressed with Kansas city that, that second night. Um, I, I think they're still obviously going to be fairly limited offensively. And you know, what happens if somebody takes the paint away uh, from them, but man, they took the fight and they just simply willed themselves to victory. And they, they led from wire to wire. The game was almost never in doubt uh, that second night. So Really impressive to see them bounce back. I mean, they were – it was an impressive showing that second night. And I, and I think UND, it's going to be a part of a process for them, right? They're going to be – they're going to be an inconsistent team. And it's nothing that the coaching staff is doing wrong. They just have all the ingredients of an inconsistent team, right? They have a, you know, freshman point guard, a lot of new – not a lot of new contributors, some guys coming back off of injury and things like that. So seeing inconsistent performances is what we can expect, you know, both in, in the game and also from game to game. So, you know, we're not going to be 100% sure what, what UND team we're going to get from game to game. But, um, you know, they're still talented. They can play a lot of different ways from last year. I honestly think in many ways that they're better than last year. They just don't have Marlon Stewart. So, uh, again, it, it, an interesting weekend, a very, very interesting weekend. I thought that matchup, you know, it was probably because I was, I was in the building. But, you know, just seeing the back and forth and the difference from night to night is, was really interesting and noteworthy in my opinion. Well, I, you know, Zach covered a lot of it. I, I think Kansas City just did a much better job defensively uh, the second day, and, and I, I think that combined with a, a team in North Dakota that does not does not have a boatload of consistent perimeter scorers. You know, they're, they're going to need a Nero or a Sims or, or you know, a few people to be able to 
consistently knock down something from behind the arc. I'm not saying they have to shoot 44%. Can you get somebody in the high 30s who can at least spread the defense out? Because I thought Kansas City did a good job of not only pressuring the ball, but at the same time taking away the paint. And I just thought that's as, that's as static and as, um, um, you know, dis, disoriented of a North Dakota offense that I've seen in a long time, especially from a Paul Sager coach team. It was just a, that was, that was just a very difficult game to watch offensively, but you have to credit Kansas City's effort and that's how you win on the road. You, you get out and you guard and, and you play with a chip on your shoulder and a little bit of an edge and, you don't you don't always want your performance the first day to be what dictates your effort and your and your resolve on the second day because what that leads you to is a 500 record and so I'm sure Coach Donlin is going to find a way to to take some positives out of that second day and say listen we can't afford not to play that way because they're not great offensively Alec as you mentioned and McKissick are the two guys that that, that are probably the most consistent scorers but they're not a you know they're not a team full of offensive weapons, so they're going to have to get a lot of a lot of work done on the defensive end and and try to turn some of those those pressure possessions into into easy points going the other direction. I think North Dakota, as they gain some confidence and the ability to knock down a perimeter shot here and there, they become much more effective. I know one of the things you asked about was you know is Alan Eikens getting back? Yeah, I think he's going to get. He'll continue to improve over the course of this conference season, without question. And he will uh, be a key contributor, I think. I, I do believe North Dakota has a lot of good pieces. And uh, it's it's the first weekend of conference season. And it's the old saying, you know, you're never as good as you think you are. And you're never as bad as you think you are. Um, but it's still, after a game like that, I'm sure Coach Sager and his coaching staff are going, oh, my gosh, you know, what, will we ever win another game? Uh, it's just, you know, little things like that. And they'll have a good week of practice and be interesting to see how they respond next weekend. You know, it was just it was just really fun to watch this Kansas City defense work. Um, you know, Phil Perbracha got, I think, zero catches on the block the entire weekend. He got a couple shovel passes, but they weren't like post-ups. I mean, they were pushing him off the block, being physical with him. I mean, he got basically no looks all weekend. It was really, really impressive. And And what they do, it's not all that complicated. You know, what you need to do to counter it is fairly simple. You know, a lot of skip passes, obviously they load up the strong side of the floor. So the skip passes are there and they worked on that all shoot around. They know exactly what they need to do. You know, where I'm sitting from my vantage point, they kind of have us a little higher up off the floor this year. You can absolutely see it, what UND needs to do offensively, but they just can't consistently do it because the pressure just has them on their heels and that's that's the whole point of this defense. So I thought that was really interesting, just the fact that it's it's fairly simple, but it's very effective. And you can watch it on tape, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I, I know what to do. Um, but then you get out there, and you're so concerned about not turning the ball over, and you're on your heels that you can't do it. You can't see it. You know, your eyes go down and looking at your defender trying to figure out how do I not turn over this ball, and they don't go up to see the open guy across the floor. So uh it, again a lot of credit goes to kansas city i mean they dictated the terms of that especially that second game and so if they can get their offense to open up a little bit more um it, they're going to be in a lot of these fights they're you know they may not win the most games but absolutely nobody's going to like playing kansas city nobody's going to walk away from kansas city and say hey you know what? that game was fun to play like they, you're just going to have a bad time playing against kansas city you may beat them but it, you're not gonna have any fun doing it that's for sure well, and I really like that point, Zach. It's sort of like a quarterback with open receivers, but if the pressure is on them, they're not going to see them. And we sit at home and go, 
oh, how did he not see that guy who's wide open? Or a guy pulls up the tape later and it, they just, Kansas City never stopped. Like, especially in the second game. It yeah. was all effort all the time. And it does show you that you know, I'm sure Coach Donlin didn't go, I'm going to find the best defenders on these high school teams so mm-hmm. I can build a defensive team. Like, he, they, they just, defense is effort. And, and they just yeah. stop the entire game, at least from what I could see from home. Yeah, and they battled. I mean, there's a lot of times they had a small lineup out there, you know, things like that. And they just, they just continue to push and push. And I, you know, it, one of these teams is just going to decide to put their head down and push their way into the paint against these guys every single time. And they're going to shoot a bunch of free throws because Kansas city will follow you if you're aggressive against them. And if, you know, th- there's not going to be any of these blow by layups, you know, clean layups. It's just going to be one of those things where you're like pushing your way into lane, like ugly stuff, but you're going to shoot a bunch of free throws. You're, you're going to get some shots in the paint against these guys. Um, it's there. It's just going to be painful. <laughs> and yeah, so got, it's, yeah, they've got one forward on the team right now with Rosenko yeah. with injury. So they, you, you'd think, especially with the size of UND, it's get the ball inside, but they just didn't let them. And yeah, I mean, they, they basically played Nesbitt as the, at the other post and he's right. not more than six, three, maybe yeah, so, six, six, four or something like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I know we spent a decent amount of time on Kansas City and North Dakota, but that is, especially Kansas City, a team we didn't know as much about. So I did want to spend more time um, on them. Let's move on to Oral Roberts and Omaha. Well, we've talked a lot about Asmus and O'Banner, but when they, when O'Banner averages 33 points and 11 rebounds and Asmus, I, I, 37 in the second game. And I think it was high twenties in the, in the, in the first game, probably worth talking about them again. So what'd you guys see from those two players? Well, I didn't see Omaha really. Um, I didn't see them demonstrate an ability to take oral Roberts, you know, take anything away from Oral Roberts really offensively. They kind of accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. I know you referenced something in your overview of the weekend where, Omaha is going to, they're much better with, you know, with Tut and, and, and Pyle if they want to play a half-court game. It's just not their M.O. It's not what Darren Hansen has coached, you know, over the last number of years. And uh, if you want to play with pace, it's hard to do it when you're playing a more talented team in, in, in ORU who just has more weapons and especially two guys that are at, at a, playing at a really high level right now in O'Banner and Asmus. So I just didn't see... Or Robert, or excuse me, Omaha, able to take anything away from ORU's execution on the offensive end. And if you let them settle in and get into a rhythm, they're just really difficult to slow down. But I do think um, I do think Omaha is learning a little bit about themselves, what they have to do, the manner in which they have to play if they want to be effective. Because it's typically the tempo is going to be dictated by whoever wants to play slower in most college games. I mean, unless there's such a um, a drastic difference in talent that you aren't able to control anything if you want to play slower. I think Omaha has the ability to play slow if they want to. I think they have to decide, is that, what, is that what's going to give us the best chance to, to win games? Oral Roberts, that, I thought that was the most impressive sweep of the weekend, uh, taking nothing away from USD or North Dakota State, just to go into Omaha, a team that has some, some very 
legitimate veteran players, even though they lost some experienced guards. They've got guys that know how to be, you know, know what it takes to win in the Summit League. And, and I thought Oral Roberts really imposed their will uh, at Omaha this weekend. So impressive to watch. Yeah, I think just the efficiency um, is really what stands out to me. You know, we know Omaha is not a bad defensive team. You know, they're, they're, they're fundamentally sound, they're well coached, all that stuff. And, you know, Maxis and, and uh, Ace Miss, uh, Ace Miss and O'Banner being over 50% from the field in both games, um, just really impressive. It, knocking down a bunch of threes, shooting high percentage from the threes, just incredibly efficient. I mean, that just tells me just how good they are. Um, I don't know exactly what the plan is. I mean, obviously, you know, first off, you need guys that can match up with them pretty well, and then I, and you have to defend them with your entire team. But, you know, you have Max Aceman taking shots from deep, and maybe it was just a special weekend. I don't know if they continue this, you know, good luck for everyone else. I mean, th- this is how you beat – this is exactly the formula, in my opinion, for how you beat a South Dakota State team because – you know, I don't know that you're going to find a better five or a better seven than South Dakota State, but if you have, you know, Max Aismas and Kevin O'Banner, they're probably better than any two particular players that South Dakota State has, you know, depending on the the health of Douglas Wilson and and, and this and that. But um, you know, I would probably take Kevin O'Banner and Max Aismas over Noah Friedel and Douglas Wilson at this point. Um, it's just the other players around them. So I don't know. Uh, just incredibly impressive. Like I'm just, I can't wait to see them in week two. Like, is this, was this more of just a terrible matchup? I mean, I'd like to think it wasn't, but um, I don't know, man. I, I, this may have us rethinking things in terms of power rankings and whatnot, but uh, you know, if they put on performances like this, shooting, scoring this many points on this few of shots, um, it's going to be hard to pick against them going forward right now. Well, I, 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 I will still say you have to make Oral Roberts defend. If you if you want to beat them, you've got to they, they are they have to prove that they're a capable half court defensive team. And if you think you're going to go out and just outscore them, uh, you know every coach in the league knows that's not how you're going to beat Oral Roberts. So I, I do think they they still you still have to be a team that's willing to to force them to defend in the half court if you want to have a chance to to, to beat them. And I, I think you know I think there's some veteran coaches that certainly understand that as well. Yeah, I think keeping the game in the 70s is an absolute necessity against them. And most teams just don't have the firepower to to beat them in a game in the in the 80s or 90s. You know, teams just can't score like that. But if you keep it in the 70s, you know, it's probably an interesting game down the stretch. I could definitely see a team like uh, NDSU faring fairly well against Oral Roberts because they can switch the ball screens, right? I think that's what's causing a lot of people problems here is I don't think Omaha would have been able to, guard, to switch those ball screens. But you know, you have a, a six six point guard, Sam Griesel. You can probably switch him on Kevin O'Banner, and you can battle a little bit. You know, so it's going to come down to matchups. I, I think Oral Roberts, or I think Omaha was a particularly poor matchup for Oral Roberts. Kind of looking back on this situation, but um, you know that that's that's part of the game, and we'll see what they do next week. Well, and Greg, you had mentioned that while I was watching, the, especially the second game. It, it looked like Omaha had learned a little bit from the first game. I mean, they, they give up 90 plus points in the first game and they seem to want to slow it down a little bit. And this is from my Rube fan perspective. The problem is Oral Roberts runs. And then as the other team, when you're running with them, you're scoring points. You're just not scoring as many. So it's like, it feels good. And then the players just get out of what was working. 
And the problem with playing uh, Omaha had a, I don't think it was double digits, but it was a decent lead in the first half. And it went from a six to eight point lead to, to Oral Roberts up two at halftime, just on that, that feeling like it was, let's slow it down. And then all of a sudden it got to running. And as soon as you run it, Oral Roberts can put up points so fast that, that you just have to stay disciplined to what you wanted to do. And it would be interesting to get a chance to ask coach Hanson, you know, did they get out of what they wanted to do? And, and um, especially in the second game, because that's what it looked like um, from the, from my perspective, just watching at home and just, just, there isn't a team that's going to score with them. Acemas was seven of 11 from three. And I don't know if you guys got to watch the feed deck. You didn't uh, because you were calling a game, but they weren't, wide open threes in the flow. Some of those were 35 foot three point shots. The guy is just an unbelievable scorer and you just have to slow down the possessions with them or it's going to be a long night in my opinion. Well, I think it's accurate and, and, and yeah, Hey, it's a lot easier to just fly up and down the floor and, 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 and take shots. It's a lot easier than to force the opposition to sit down and defend you side to side and two, three ball reversals and, and, you know, uh, ball screen action or, or screen action away from the ball and force them to communicate. I've always said that's the, 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 the best way to take away that desire to fly up and down the floor is to force somebody to sit down and defend in the half court. And if you're not going to do it, then you're going to play right into their hands. And that's exactly what Omaha does. And all of a sudden, when they could have gone into halftime with, a, with, you know, with some confidence in a lead, they lose discipline and allow ORU just to go off on it a little bit. And all of a sudden ORU goes in and saying, you know, says to themselves, listen, we didn't even play that good and we're, and we're still up at halftime. And, and I think that carried over to the second half, but I think that's what you need is, is you've got to have maturity and that understanding with your perimeter guys, your, your primary ball handlers, your primary decision makers have to be the ones that say, you know, Hey, there's a reason that certain guys are going to get open looks early in a possession. You know what I mean? And that's, and, and so at the same time, what you want to do is, is not settle for okay shots, but find a way to get good shots and maybe even great shots. And what you're doing is you're forcing that aggressive offensive team to sit down and do something that they despise doing, which is defending the half court. And I think to build on Greg's point, I mean, not, I mean, definitely Oral Roberts offense is better than their defense, but you know, you, you Kevin O'Banner and Max Aismas, they're probably not going to be coming out of the game. And so a way that you kind of, maybe you can kind of get into their legs, especially on the second night of a back-to-back if they're playing the whole game, by making them play defense. By like, like Greg said, having them sit in a stance and defend for 20, 25 seconds, that takes a lot out of a person. That takes a lot of energy away from them. And then down the stretch, you know, do they, do they have the, the stamina to finish? I don't know. I just know that it, if, if your opponent is shooting 53% from the field one night and then 49 the next, it doesn't matter if the game's played in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. You're probably not going to win when, with somebody shooting that type of percentage. And so you have to figure out a way. How do you get that down to 40, 45%? I mean, I really think if Oral Roberts shoots maybe 40 to 43% from the field and they're forced to play defense, you're probably in the game at the end. Um, but you just, you just, you can't beat them if they shoot 50% from the field. It doesn't matter how many points are scored. I don't think so. Well, and I'll just go back. I'll pull out my, the coaching cliche that I always used. I always said defense, good defense is about one possession out of 10. I said, if you hold teams to, to four 
makes on, on 10 attempts, you're going to be competing for championships. And if you hold teams to five makes on 10 attempts, you're going to be looking for a new job. That's oh. the difference is one possession out of 10. And, and that's why you have to have that understanding of, um, I couldn't agree with you more. Ace Smith and O'Banner are going to be big minute guys. You know what? Put them in an uncomfortable position instead of the comfortable position of just running up and down the floor, shooting the ball. Force them to sit down and move laterally, defend and do things that they don't want to do. So I think that's that's how I think that's how South Dakota State, U.S. I, I think that's how the other teams in the league are gonna are gonna realize that you know what? You, if you you have to play that way against Oral Roberts to take away the strength of their team, which right now is Ace and O'Banner scoring in an extremely highly efficient manner. And the other thing to quickly point out, I don't, I, you know, we're talking about maybe getting them tired, having them work harder, things like that. Running up and down the floor, that's not hard. Like players really don't get tired from running up and down the floor. I think what tires them out more than anything is sitting in a stance and getting through screens and being physical with them and kind of roughing them up. Like to me, that's what always wore me out more than just running up and down the floor. So again, to your point, making them play defense, making them work, getting to their legs, maybe trying to get that field goal percentage down a little bit seems to be sort of the formula at this point anyway. Well, and I'll end with one last point and we'll move on to the next game. Kevin O'Banner averaged 33 points and 11 rebounds against the defending uh, defensive player of the year. Primarily was was defended by Pyle and Pyle can stay with him Um even out on the perimeter, he's a good, he moves his feet well and, and it is just a good overall defender, not just a post defender. Uh, so it, there may be, it may be just challenging to hold them down and you may have to pick which of those two you're going to focus on. Um, the only good news for, for opponents was there wasn't a ton of scoring from others. I, I think Glasper was the only other player to even get into double figures when they scored 86 in the second game. Um, so it's just it's going to be a tall task, and I, I I think we've brought up a few points on how that might be might be a little easier for future opponents. All right, so the next game was North Dakota State and Western Illinois. North Dakota State um, swept at Western Illinois, but there were no fans there um, in Macomb. The the thing that I was struck with, and then I'll let you guys go, is just how defensively sound North Dakota State is. Um, they the uh, Western Illinois likes to go one-on-one and you just don't score without moving the ball and running your offense against North Dakota state, or or at least not at a high percentage because they're always in the right spot and always, and Zach, you had mentioned earlier, the the whole backcourt is six foot five. So the ability to switch even on bigs, they're just so sound defensively. What did you guys take away from that two game series? Well, I I think kind of like we talked about at the top um, in terms of consistency, and maturity, yeah, I think NDSU will be second to none. Um, partly because I think they rely on one player less than any team in the league. You know, right. if if Cruiser is cold, that's not that big of a deal because they have Edie posting up and they have Grease out there, you know. And so it, it, both offensively and defensively, different people are going to be stepping up. Now, that could potentially be a hindrance if they're coming down the stretch and they don't know who's going to take the last shot, you know, if it, um, th- there's not that focal point, but at the same time, it can also be a strength as well. So it's just sort of the nature of them. And uh, they're just going to be a tough out. I, I don't see them having many bad games. They may not have a ton of like really great impressive games, but I think 
you're going to have to play very well to beat this team. I don't think that they're going to give out any wins this year. Um, they're just seem there's a really tough physically and mentally team. And, uh, and I think they have a better idea of like who they are. I think they were trying to figure out who they are the first couple of games. And especially now that Griezmann's playing a little bit better, a little bit more aggressive, they're, they're tough and they're very unique. Um, and in, in Western, Western battle, like I, they battled fairly well for a brand new team um, who's playing a team that could expose a team who isn't, you know, holding together and playing as one. So um, I, I wasn't all that upset with Western's performance, you know, especially for a first time together in the conference. So um, definitely noteworthy, but uh, you know, anytime you can sweep on the road, man, what a positive for NDSU. Yeah, it was. I, um, Zach made a good, a lot of good points about North Dakota state. And I, I think you, um, Western Illinois, I, I do think is, is going to get some people. Uh, and I do think they're going to continue to improve under coach Jeter without question. And there'll be a, there'll, there'll be a, a much more difficult team to defeat later in the season than they are right now, just because with a completely new roster, they have not had, you know, any of the reps and, you know, no teams have, but it just makes it that much more difficult for those teams that did have, you know, really a, a whole makeover on their roster or a lot of turnover one way or the other. So uh, I think you're going to see a lot of growth from the Western Illinois team. I, I do like North Dakota state. I like their versatility. I, I like what Malik Harden Hayes is doing since he, He's been inserted in the starting lineup, uh, playing with a lot of confidence. The one thing about him is he's just got a great motor, competes. He's got, you know, length and, and not afraid to get after it on the glass. Um, Grant Nelson out of Devil's Lake is going to be pretty doggone good. Uh, extremely skilled offensively and yet clearly understands that unless you're going to at least commit, you know, to busting your tail on the defensive end, you're not going to get on the floor. So, and I think Dave Richmond has instilled that in him. Uh, just a, a ton of versatility, a ton of depth with this team. And, and you've asked this. I think we addressed this specific issue before. Do they have a go-to guy? Maybe not. Probably not. They don't have a Vinny or a, or, or a Tyson Ward. But I think they've got schemes and they've got mismatches and they've got isolations that they can get to um, depending on what the matchups are. And I think, I think they're the, going to be the most difficult team to match up with at times because of their length the type of lineups they can put on the floor and the type of mismatches they can create just with, you know, it's, and it's simplistic. They're, they are not a complicated offensive team. They want to make you defend. They want to use, utilize the majority of the shot clock and they want to find mismatches and, and get high percentage looks for their guys that have those mismatches. And, and you can know that's exactly what they're going to do, but you better have the personnel that can stop, you know, that the mismatch that they've identified and that they want to utilize. So I really like them. Um, they have a go-to guy. No, do they have uh, any number of guys that can make a big shot at, at a big time? Yeah, I think they've got a lot of options that way. But I think you know the fact that they don't have a go-to guy. I think that's a really. Uh, I think that can be a strength. I think that can be used as a strength. You know, because if you're, so if I'm putting myself in the in the shoes of a coach, like okay, generally when you're trying to build your defensive game plan, you're trying to give something up to try to take another thing away. And you can't really give anything up against them. Um, they're going to have this unique ability to target the weakness of the defense and the weakness of maybe a particular matchup. And, you know, like I said, maybe it's Griezmann, maybe it's Edie going into the post. You know, whatever it is, they're going to be able to attack it because they're so versatile. And so, I don't know, they're a very unique team, a very unique team. I don't know that I've seen a team like them in the Summer League in quite some time here. Um, and so it's going to be fun to watch. Well, and as you were talking, Greg, I, I got to thinking, 
it feel, this is an interesting matchup in with two teams, one out of necessity with Western, Western Illinois that had to grow because they were an entirely new team. But I actually think North Dakota State might have, be the team that's shown the most growth from the beginning of the year. And I think of players like Harden Hayes, who was a limited contributor and now is scored in double figures both games this weekend. It's it and uh, Nelson as well, who was who was barely playing at the beginning of the year. It this it's really coming together pretty well for North Dakota State. I feel a lot better about them than I did early in the year, um, and some of that was the competition they were playing. But it also shows playing really tough competition if you can compete can really help your team grow um, in the non-conference. Absolutely. I, I'll echo what you said. I think a lot of their, you know, you know, lack of success, they played a number of power five opponents and they played some of them tough. They, and I think they improved, even though they weren't winning games, uh, they continue to improve and continue to grow. And that's, that's a credit to how the coaching staff has handled some of these younger contributors and how they kind of challenged the more experienced guys to bring those young guys along and, and, and show them how it's done. So I'm with you. I, I've seen a lot of growth and, and I think, um, again, I, I think they're going to they're gonna be right there when this thing is all said and done. If they can stay healthy for the most part, I like a lot of their pieces. Well, and I did want to bring up one other player on Western Illinois. We've talked a lot this year about this kind of being the year of the bigs in the Summit League. And, and Tamel Pearson, just another uh, big um, that is that is starting to show that he he really he highly regarded recruit when he went to UAB and really showing some of that 17 points and five rebounds in the second game, really efficient um, battles on the defensive end. And I would just say we already, in my opinion, know that Western Illinois is a better team, even with all new parts than they were last season with some really incredible scores last year, but they just, they do compete um, from, from wire to wire. And that, that isn't something we always saw last year. All right, let's move on to South Dakota-Denver, our, our last matchup of, of the weekend. Um, South Dakota with two impressive victories over um, Denver. One question I have with South Dakota, d- did they show that they're maybe the number four team or maybe even higher um, in the Summit League with that two-game stretch, or do we need to see more? Well, I think, you know, with Stanley Amude, um, who I'd put – you know, probably right behind maybe Kevin O'Banner, um, depending on the weekend, maybe ahead. Um, they 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 have the chance to win any game. You know, there there's going to be some games this year where it's there's just going to be a, a mismatch, and the chances of one team beating the other is pretty small. Um, that's probably never going to happen with USD. Are they the four seed? I mean, you could make that you could make that argument. You could easily make that argument. I think, um, especially with how you know, some of the newcomers to their program are coming along. You know, Xavier Fuller's playing pretty well. Tessa Comenteros is, is playing. He's starting to get established, and he's understanding what they want of him, I think, a little bit more. And um, they're going to be hard to beat. And, of course, we've talked a, a lot about A.J. Plitzaway, who um, I think is really the, the player that brings all these different players together. He really makes players around him much better. And uh, he's really a fun player to watch. And, you know, obviously we get a couple more games, a couple more years of him. But, uh, yeah, in terms of the fourth team, I would have them as the fourth team as of right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to say they aren't at all. I, uh, I think Zach touched on a number of good points. I really like what Plitzel White brings. I think, um, I think 
uh, having that primary decision makers, primary ball handler, somewhat that's that is a security blanket for every coach. It, you know, the, it was, it's what Vinny Shahid was last year. Now, don't get me wrong; I'm not saying AJ puts away Vinny Shahid, but it is such a comforting feeling for coaches to say, "All right, I know that this is going to get done because the ball's in the right guy's hands." And so I really like what he brings. Amude, as you as you said, as good a one-on-one talent as there is in the league, a matchup nightmare. Are they getting some, you know, some consistency now and, and, and defining some roles for some of these guys off the bench? I think they are. And you see some growth. And to be honest with you, if you're Todd Lee, it was probably the ideal opponent in Denver, who, again, you know, it's more of an indictment of Denver. They're just not very good right now, and it's unfortunate. But his team gained a lot of confidence, and, and if he was trying to, to get some guys to buy in to say, Hey, listen, this will work. If we do it the right way, it was a perfect weekend and a perfect opponent for him. So I think they, um, they could, they are certainly in that conversation. I, I do believe at this point until I see something different that South Dakota state ORU and North Dakota state are, you know, that, that top echelon right now, who can get to the four spot, who can find a way to, to get to, you know, to get to the semifinals of that conference tournament and, 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 uh, put two great games together it's going to be a lot of fun to find out usd i'm sure right now is thinking why not us and and we'll see uh what they get from some of those other pieces as they continue to grow as a team well and another question i had for you guys is is on denver so jace townsend very interesting only five shots the first game um did have 11 shots the second game this is his third year in a in a pretty non on a pretty non-competitive team it feels like he's just like, it feels like the wheels are already coming off for Denver. Is that the feeling you guys got? And then what must that feel like for a player to just be in that situation year after year and, and trying to compete at, at a high level? I think um, I'm really going to try to not go down that path as, as much as I possibly can. Um, you know, just because that's like, I think it's pretty much one of the most serious accusations we can make of of a program, you know, um, we can see the results uh, of the games. And I I think to a large extent, they kind of speak for themselves. Sure. Um, again, we haven't really had a chance to watch them play a whole lot. Um, but the thing about it is, you know, Nobody can control that situation more than the players themselves. I think I, th- I think the players are responsible for this situation, you know, and, and the coaches just as much as anybody. I mean, they're if they're not having a great time, it's on the, it's on them to change it. And so, you know, at this point, I don't know that anybody's really going to feel sorry for them. Um, yeah, it does look like to be a difficult situation. Uh, you know, nobody's going to take them for granted. Uh, nobody's going to overlook them, but. You know they have a they have a ways to go here. They they have some work to do, uh, probably some soul searching. And um, you know, there's not no talent. I don't know. Has anybody heard about Robert Jones's injury? Is he is that a long term thing? Uh, the only thing I've heard is 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 uh, that it lo- didn't look good. So there was concern that it was something bigger. But I've done some searching. I can't find anything more than that. Yeah, it seems to be pretty quiet. He's not in any box scores. Right. And, and we'll see. Uh, it, it, uh, one of the things I've always said is, is, you know, your individual happiness is, is nobody else's job. And so either enjoy what you're doing or, or don't do it. Um, 
and this is a unique year. It's a difficult year for everybody, from coaches all the way down through players. You just we can go back and talk about McKissick at Kansas City wanting to jump in the transfer portal. I and you get a lot of outside voices at times too. Everybody thinks they have the right advice. So I think it's one of those things where you got to let it play out, make the best of a difficult situation, and and challenge yourself. Say, listen, hey, let's let's be that spoiler. Right now, nobody thinks we're going to make the tournament. Let's let's find a way to you know, to, to go on a run and, and maybe we have some unexpected contributors step up and, and let's take the pressure off of ourselves and be that spoiler and, and go out and play with reckless abandon and no fear and, and who knows what, what might be able to happen. So I think that's the, you know, how do the individuals ch- handle the situation? You know, 18 to 22 year olds, they've, they've got to grow up and make some adult decisions. And at the same time, how does the staff handle it? And how do they challenge them and how do they, how do they build them up? And, uh, and show them that listen, there there is a way we can we can turn this in the right direction. And here's how we got here's how we have to do it. But in order for that to happen, everybody has to be on the same page. And I think I just think that comes down to individual responsibility. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I I think Rodney Billups, if anybody can do it, I I, I believe he's one of those guys that can, and get the get a group of guys that I think want to be there and and see if they can't get that corner turned. And, and I'm you know like, like you were saying, Greg. Um, I'm in no way saying that this is exactly what's happening with the Denver program. I don't know. It just again, we're just trying to read the tea leaves here. But you're right, man. I, this is great training for life here, right? Uh, you know, I think when you go in the real world, uh, you know, you quickly find out that you know people don't really care about your problems, right? Isn't that what Lou Holtz said? It's like, you know, 90% of people don't care about your problems, and 10% are glad you have them. You know, and it's just you have to just figure things out and come up with the answers yourself and just will yourself back on track. And again, I'm not exactly saying that's what's happening with this Denver situation, but just sports is a great metaphor and a great training ground for life. And we'll see teams kind of go through those types of situations all year. Well, and it is an interesting, you know, sports is one of those things where you do get a little bit of that. Here we go again. And so for the first 10, 12 minutes of both games, Denver was right in it and it's it's getting past that point where the run when the other team goes in on a run it it's a eight point run and not a 18 point run it 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 it's getting past that part that it feels like you know and we don't the other thing we don't know we're so early in the season maybe South Dakota's one of the best teams in the summit and Denver ran into just like the matchup was a nice one for South Dakota, we think right now, maybe the matchup was just the worst one for Denver. Um, so it is early in the season to to cast uh, broad brush strokes, I suppose. I agree. And I think that's that's a challenge for any coach is how do you get things turned around? I mean, you can say, well, we don't have the talent. Well, listen, you, you've recruited that roster, regardless of whether or not there's some talent that is out with injury right now. How do you maximize that talent? How do you, how do you get it turned around? And that's, I think any any coach worth their salt, loves that challenge and loves that opportunity to say, all right, people think that we're down and out. Let, let's, let's make something out of, out of what's perceived to be nothing here. And, and let, let's be a team that, that maybe overachieves and catches some people off guard. I think that's a great opportunity in front of coach Billups and his staff. Right. Okay. Well, that, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you everybody for joining and thank you gentlemen. And we'll see you next week. Thanks. Tom. Sounds good.